0: Hello, and welcome to the pre snap motion podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined as always. I think we can say, as always, now through episode two, we're two for two, as always, by Rich Rebar. Rich, how are you doing today?
1: Yeah, I, I hope I'm still on the show, uh, you know, especially two shows in. I hope I wasn't pulled already. But, yeah, it's going well. You know, we survived the weekend, you know, a big draft weekend. We made it. It kind of went off without a hitch. The draft was a lot of fun. I think watching the, these guys in their home environment made the draft fun. There really no, were no snafus from technological stance. Uh, and it was just a really good draft overall. And we, you know, obviously had the, the benefit of having a really highly – touted offensive rookie draft class and they kind of delivered on that front so anytime we can get a bunch of offensive players drafted it's real fun from my neck of the woods you know coming at it from a fantasy angle
0: yeah absolutely and let's be clear this is a fantasy football podcast um if any one of the two of us was not going to be on the show anymore uh, it would not be me or at least that would not be a very good podcast so we're very glad to have rich here as we dive into uh the fantasy football aspects of this nfl draft so thank you guys for joining us uh, this is our second episode. Uh, you can listen to our first one. That'll be on the feeds. Uh, at pre-snap motion. You can like and subscribe to that if you have not. Uh, we're going to be coming to you weekly now, even um, after the NFL draft is done. We're still going to be talking here. We're going to start talking about Dynasty. We're going to start talking about uh, Season Long. We're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff, and we're going to get into that uh, right now. So, Rich, like you said, this was a very offensive, heavy draft, especially at the top. Uh, you were doing a lot of write-ups, uh, live write-ups during the draft. I was editing a lot of your uh, draft write-ups during the draft uh, for, the, for the big players who were going into impact places. Um, so what were maybe some of your, your high-level takeaways on, on some of those early picks? And was this an offensive draft that really lived up to the hype?
1: Yeah, I kind of, you know, felt bad for you on Friday, you know, the start of Friday, the end of Thursday and the start of Friday is kind of where we hit that big wave of, you know, offensive players going, you know, wide receivers. There were eight wide receivers taken, you know, in the top 34, which was the most ever in the NFL draft at that point. And then we had a bunch of running backs go in to the top of the second round. So I was hitting you with all kinds of stuff and you were editing and, you know, we're trying to work the Twitter and do that stuff. But yeah, 26 running backs and wide receivers were taken on the opening two days of the draft. That was the, the most ever matching the two 2008 class uh, for round one, two, and three running backs and wide receivers combined. You know, you look at the NFL, where it is right now in the space it's at, the league has been kind of, you know, trending more pass-centric and using more pass-catching personnel in the field. Three or more wide receivers have been used on 71% of pass plays the past two seasons. But the league itself has also had, you know, kind of a pass-catching scarcity issue, despite that rise in, you know, three-plus wide receiver sets. Uh, More wide receivers are playing simultaneous snaps than ever before. But very few teams entered this NFL draft with three or more viable wide receivers that were part of their wide receiver core. Uh, you know, every depth chart kind of out there needed wide receiver talent and vice versa. Not many needed a lot of a lot of running back talent, uh, which really paired up the depth of this wide receiver class. And I think that's what elevated this wide receiver class and why we had kind of those numbers match like those historic levels for early round draft picks.
0: Yeah, unless you're the Green Bay Packers and you're like, "Now, nah, we don't need wide receivers at all." Uh, same thing for the New York Giants who, you know, figured they they don't need one either. I think they were like two of three teams that didn't take a wide receiver in this draft, which they kind of crazy, especially when you consider like what those two teams could need. Uh, but yeah, so like you said, so many wide receivers going early wide receivers and a lot of those guys are going to be put into opportunities because they were in they were given that draft capital, and we see often, especially for fantasy football, opportunity is this leading, this leading factor in, in how these guys are used and how these guys are valued. So right after the draft, you came real quick with a whole bunch of rankings. Uh, you went rookie uh, rankings for a dynasty and season long. You put together the rookies into your full uh, season rankings. Uh, all types of ranking, any type of ranking you are looking for right now is up on sharpfootballanalysis.com from Rich. So, Rich, I know like through looking in a whole bunch of these rankings, um, you look at some of the rookies, they're high on dynasty, not so much in you know, season long. So can you just go through how you are viewing these rankings and, and how they differ between the different rankings you're doing?
1: Yeah, so the the Dynasty rankings, you know, are more running back, you know, focused because, you know, running backs, you know, had hit the league, you know, running at a, you know, no pun intended, hit the league running at a, at a higher rate than wide receivers. Um, but, you know, I do tend to be a little more pessimistic about all rookies in general, you know, from like a you know, early production stance, you know, just from uh, league winning fantasy entities, you know, we'll talk about the wide receivers in a little bit, but comparing to the top of that running back class to where they slide in the season long ranks, you know, it's just always hard for me to elevate incoming, you know, rookie backs to like, Top 10 RB1 levels, unless they really smack you in the face from a prospect uh, stance, you know, an elite prospect stance, and then walking into opportunity with a high team investment. Guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley, like these almost can't miss prospects that go as top five and they're just giving the keys to an offense right away. But, you know, even accounting for you know the highest draft capital, we've had a lot of slower burns in rookies, even with high draft capital. You think like Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, CJ Spiller, you know, uh, Mark Ingram, uh, Christian McCaffrey, only 190. 97 touches as a rookie you know he was picked number eight uh he was not like the the guy that didn't come off the field you know his rookie year that he was this year so the excitement right now is definitely fresh uh, for these guys, and we've waited a long time for this draft class. We're excited about it, but they're, and there's there's also an absolute signal here that a lot of these teams selecting these running backs view these players as long-term options, you know, for these potential expiring contracts that we have for these backs. That's the case for Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, potentially even A.J. Dillon. Um, they are also drafted to teams, though, with also – functional and productive incumbents you know also in place you know right now I mean you look at you know Marlon Mack he's had t- just short of 2200 yards the past two seasons Mark Ingram just had 1300 yards and 15 touchdowns Damian Williams averaged 110 yards from scrimmage over his final seven full games played uh you know so I'm op- operating from a 2020 stance that this is a slightly little more trepidation than a lot of people out of the box and you know when you look at these running backs where they were taken too not very highly in the context of their round one and round two picks, you know, Clyde Ridge was our first guy at round one at pick 32, just right out the right at the very end of the draft. Um, but I would definitely project him to have well under the 325 touches that Kareem Hunt had as a rookie because, you know, he's a 208-pound guy. You know, Damian Williams could still have a goal line role at 225. Uh, it was also a, a, a complete luxury pick for the Chiefs, a team that's returning 20 of 22 offensive starters from a year ago. Uh, from the same area of the draft, even from round one capital, and you say that guy was a round one pick over the past decade, we've had Sony Michelle, 216 rookie touches, Rashad Penny, 94 rookie touches, David Wilson, 75 rookie touches. You know, Mark Ingram, 133 rookie touches. Uh, So, I mean, all those guys are coming with that round on capital, but they were a slower burn. And when you tie into that top of round two, when you say, well – you know, hey, David, DeAndre Swift is only three picks after, in context. Sure, he's a round two guy, but he only went three picks after Clydewood Square. I mean, you look at guys that went recently in that area of the draft. Nick Chubb, took until to week seven, his rookie year, to get the use if we wanted. He was pick 35. Miles Sanders last year didn't play 50% of the Eagle snaps uh, in, in a game until week 11 last season. Ronald Jones was pick 41. He had 30 rookie touches. Joe Mixon was pick 48. He um, only had eight games his rookie season with 10 or more carries. Derrick Henry was pick 45, and Twenty-three rookie touches. Carian Johnson, pick forty-three. T.J. Yeldon, pick thirty-six. Amir Abdullah, pick fifty-four. Carlos Hyde, uh, you know, pick fifty-seven. Bishop Sankey. You kind of get the picture where I'm headed here. Uh, we've been really high on these backs from this area of the draft before, but they've taken some time to really work up and get that full usage. Um, and I tend to go under on rookie performances naturally, like I said, because these guys don't have any NFL experience. But especially when they're you know kind of expensive players, which is what we're going to have from this group of cl- this class, because they've been highly regarded for so long and a lot of them went to exciting spots you know when you look at John Taylor going to Colts great fit uh, we talk about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and we'll talk about him continuously throughout this offseason probably more on the show uh, you know going to a great fit J.K. Dobbins went to a tremendous fit you know uh, but yeah I mean if it's, it's, they're great dynasty situations But you should have a little bit of trepidation, you know, coming out of the box with these guys year one uh, because they do have strong competition. And we've seen a lot of rookies from that area of the draft take a little more buildup to get going from a, you know, downhill fantasy perspective.
0: And it's super interesting of just how these guys were kind of selected in a way that I think we talked about this a little bit with, with Warren Sharp in our our pre our post draft show uh, on the Sharp Angles podcast of how, Teams are maybe learning that they shouldn't be giving these running backs uh, second contracts, but they also went up and were drafting these guys in the second round, drafted them in the third round, um, and still using high draft capital, but there's still this other guy in place. When you, you know, talk about um, you know, Jonathan Taylor, there's still Marlon Mack. That's, that's not going to be a very clear uh, the hierarchy there in, in year one, which we expect. Even Edwards Hilaire is probably going to share a little bit with Damian Williams. Look at Zach Moss coming in behind Devin Singletary. Um, a whole bunch of guys like that. We're, we're seeing that maybe those guys at the end of their first contracts are not going to get that second one with the team, but that doesn't really give us a very clear picture of what these rookies coming in are going to do right out of the gate.
1: 100% and there and like I said there is a signal there that these teams value these players you know taking over that role that these other these incumbents have I mean you look at J.K. Dobbins I mean what a what a fit you know you've got Mark Ingram he's turning 31 years old this season we talked about this you know the numbers he put up last year but turning 31 years old they can get out of his contract J.K. Dobbins is was a guy built to play in that offense? You know, look at fifty seven percent of his carries last year were run pass option runs. He had two hundred and sixty shotgun carries at Ohio State. What an offense for him to fit into in terms of Baltimore. Um, I think when you're looking at these guys, um, you know, if you just kind of break it down from a you know a case by case basis, I mean DeAndre Swift runs into kind of the, a situation that probably is the most unclear because Matt Patricia has kind of vouched for a running back. By committee before their depth chart just got completely obliterated last year. Or just uh, encouraged Car- by Matt Patricia in general, <laughs> like just who knows, right? And then you talk about Carrying Johnson. He out of all these guys is probably the most formidable guy because one, he has multiple years on his rookie contract left. And he can catch the football a little bit, whereas, you know, Mark Ingram, it's easy to say he's out next year. So, you know, Dobbins only has to wait one year. Uh, even if Jonathan Taylor and Max split a little bit this year and he doesn't fully take him over, max in a contract. Year. He's, they're not going to bring him back. Uh, you know, same thing with Damian Williams and Clyde ritz you Even if there's some type of split, he's going to – 2021, like it's absolutely going to be his thing. Uh, but, you know, Swift has a deal of probably the most formidable guy in a multi-year contract and a guy still in his age apex uh, on a rookie contract. Cam Akers has that too, but we just don't know what really Daryl Henderson is. And the kind of early signal that we've gotten now through 18 months of Daryl Henderson uh, is not that strong. And dynasty owners in general and fantasy players I don't think really we're buying in I mean his ADP in best ball leagues really only jumped to like RB 36 after the girly release so people were already operating with caution on him so I mean he's got only 46 touches as a rookie and then the team comes right back and drafts a guy with more draft capital than they invested in him a year ago um so I mean I would say that acres probably is the bet like the most clearest runway out of the guys but for a lot of these guys I, I think in they could take over during the season. But like I I laid out with all those guys we rattled off uh, that were taken in that, you know, pick 30 to 60 range, uh, you know, it might take them multiple weeks into the season for that to to clear. And uh, you might have some of these guys pop for the team that didn't draft them. They might not be able to wait. Like remember Nick Chubb's year, the teams that drafted him he was he was out on waiver wires you know by the time he blew up and then then was a league winner down the stretch you know so you might have some situations like that come this year where these guys disappoint maybe the first month of the season uh and don't take over until midway through
0: yeah it's it's super interesting to how it plays out and before we move on we'll talk about maybe the uh, don't want to skip over some of the the guys who were in waiting that got jumped already in waiting. So let's let pour a uh, pour one out for the like Justice Hill Memorial Dynasty stock. Um, don't worry, guys, I I feel you there. Um, but let's get into um, maybe some specific running backs that we're going to talk about because uh, when you look at the, kind of the difference between these guys. Uh, when you look at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, he was your 23rd overall, a dynasty player, running back 12, but when you go to f- just single season, 53rd overall, running back 22, but uh, you did jump him up to the top of your rookie spot after Jonathan Taylor was there pre-draft. Um, so do you think uh, this is Edwards-Hilaire's position to, to stay strong in, or do you think there might be some, some give and take there a little bit as we go?
1: Yeah, it's kind of been the conversation a lot of people have been having, you know, since the draft ended. Uh, and, you know, in season long, you know, we could definitely see this play out where I come higher on a lot of these guys. And the guy like Clyde Erick's he it looks like he's going to have a bigger role than even what I'm suggesting. It's going to, you know, bump him up and then maybe some guys trickle down to some situation change. You know, it's April 27th. I'm not going to say my season long rankings are by far set in stone. But we are talking about just from the no, we're holding, draft,
0: holding you to it. We're nope, going to post that on the front page and they're going to stay there in, in, until September. It's early.
1: But for me, when it comes to rookie drafts and Clyde Edwards-Flaire going from RB5 all the way up to, uh, you know, to RB1 and then the 101 and, and you know, non-superflex league, it's just the potential runway that Edwards-Flaire has to being kind of a Christian McCaffrey type of player. Now, will he get to those standards? That's that's saying quite a bit. But you, you look at his – what he can do, you know, schematically as a player, the same, you know, kind of a similar size, he's attached to the most precocious passing quarterback in league history that's ever happened in the NFL and some of that you know has to do with the era he's in the best offense in the NFL he's got a head coach that has always utilized his running back uh passing game assets he's got a head coach that's not shy about giving opportunities based on the archetype of or, or physical profile of a running back he's not really care if you're a great athlete or not um but so rarely does a prospect find his way in the NFL draft to kind of like that dream glove fit scenario. And that's really kind of what happened with Edwards Hilaire. I mean, there, I don't know if there was any other spot he would have jumped to one-on-one other than this one, because it's just, that combination of, that marriage of all the things we just, yeah, I just ran down was really just tremendous. But with Taylor, like his spot's really good. Now, one thing I really don't but impact me though, from a dynasty perspective is like offensive line. So his offensive line is great right now, but like offensive line play and, the same guy five is playing that's so fluid in the nfl so i try to let that i'll let the impact 2020 and how i view the colts running back but from a dynasty angle it's just way too fluid for me to put a lot of stock into that you think quentin nelson and braden smith those guys are gonna come up on contract in the same year because they were taking the same draft anthony Cassanzo's 32 and has no dead money next year like there can still be rollover where this outline looks different than Uh, you know, you're you're now from um, from today, so I don't let that really, you know, impact my decision majorly. Um, Plus, the QB situation in Indianapolis has an expiration date where it doesn't, you know, with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, And then there's still an outcome for Jonathan Taylor, I think, to still be uh, used in the NFL in a similar capacity that Derrick Henry has been. And you think about where Jonathan Taylor went in the draft; it was almost spot for spot, you know, with Derrick Henry who, who went pick 45. And the reason Taylor kind of went there is because of that unknown that teams viewed him in the passing game. I mean, you look at it, uh, his passing, you know, stats jumped last year, but he still was coming off the field on third downs at Wisconsin for, you know, Garrett Groshek. So, I mean, it's still kind of an unknown. And, and is a team going to give him those routes and those downs in the NFL? If he would have been a top 10 pick, I think we would have absolutely said yes. But with him going on you know, the top of the second round, obviously the Colts still valued him. Um, but I think that there still is a question mark um, and fantasy right now is so driven by backs that catch the ball out of the backfield, even in standard scoring, it, you know, a target carries so much more fantasy opportunity than a handoff uh, that, you know, you just put all those things together. He just falls a little short. I think that, you know, definitely Clyde Edwards-Slaire, there's, there's a gap there, uh, but, you know, I'm definitely don't want to throw any complete shade at Jonathan Taylor, but uh, edwards flair really, it really rarely do you get such a marriage of all the things that fell in place for him.
0: Yeah, we talked about it a little bit right after round one of, you know, we're not going to say ever take a running back in the first round. But when you just look at the skill set, and especially for the fantasy perspective, you look at the skill set of what Edwards Hilaire can do, uh, out, split out 21% of the time, uh, just that great pass catcher, he can run routes, that's going to be just a perfect fit in the Chiefs offense. And that's uh, the fantasy marriage, I don't think could be any better. Than, than what that was. It's just, it's so good. And it's a completely you know, different conversation than the overall running back value we're going to have in the NFL. But if you're looking at fantasy and you cannot get a better situation than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And since he was one of the bigger risers, let's also talk about some of the other guys who rose up um, from your pre to post-draft ranks uh, and maybe some other guys who, who did not do as well after they fell a little bit.
1: Yeah definitely you know looking at Keyshawn Vaughn like a lot of people and where he went you know in the third round going to Tampa Bay. I mean Tampa Bay through free agency in the NFL draft was going to be a spot we were going to monitor anyways. So he was the RB10 for me pre-draft so he didn't make a wild jump in context of the running back position. He went from RB10 to RB6 but he he went from my 30th overall my pre-draft ranks to 12th overall you know so kind of a fringe RB, uh, first round pick uh, you know a non-super flex league. If you look at Keyshawn Vaughn I mean he's a guy a high workhorse back. When you think workhorse back what he was in college his ranks running backs in this class is he handled 70.7 percent of his team's non-quarterback rushing attempts that was second in this class he had 70 percent of their non-quarterback rushing yards that was second in this class he had 36.2 percent of the Vanderbilt yards from scrimmage that was third in this class he had 14 percent of the team receptions that was second among running backs in this class and he had 48 percent of the Vanderbilt touchdowns last year which was second in this class so workhorse back now the thing about Keyshawn Vaughn is when you watch him is he was needed to be a workhorse backs. one, the, the totality of the offense wasn't that good. And he's also a guy that's just kind of low voltage. He doesn't do anything bad. You, there's really no negatives in Keyshawn Swan's game, but he also isn't one of those guys that, like, is, like, lighting it up when you watch him. He kind of just gets what's blocked for him, doesn't make negative plays. He's good in pass protection. Um, and that's kind of the shortcomings for Ronald Jones. I mean, Ronald Jones' biggest problem in the NFL so far has been the mistakes. It's been pass protection. So Keyshawn Johnson has a chance here, one, or Keyshawn Johnson, I mean, Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, you know, has a chance. Yeah, I'm going go back to old bucks, you know, going to Keyshawn. Uh, but, you know, he's got a chance to jump Ronald Jones year one. But the problem, I think, when you want to elevate him in totality is, is, is if he's just a baseline talent, does, is it, just, is it just a year one 2020 value where he wins that job and has value? Um, or, or is that kind of taken away from a longer term play? Is he just the bridge to the next guy for the Buccaneers, um, you know, at that type of draft capital? And then, you know, having a low bar of just beating out Ronald Jones. Uh, is it going to be enough to carry him in Dynasty for future years, even though right now it's appealing? So I think that's the question for him. And then the largest faller um, was Eno Benjamin. I mean, I didn't expect Eno Benjamin oh, to man. be drafted on day one or two, I didn't because of the archetype he is. But I definitely expected him to kind of be in, like, that fourth fourth round mix. And to fall, to fall all the way to pick 222 is just such a death knell for him and opportunity. I mean, Arizona is good, is a good enough spot they had to keep the lights on because everyone that touched the ball in their backfield last year was good when you think about you know david johnson even injured was good for fantasy then chase edmonds blew up and then Kenyon drake blew up so i mean that's going to keep the lights on but like he's still just an objective faller because the seventh round you know rookie running backs are running running back Just the the hit rate is so low so i mean i had to bump bump him way down uh from a running back stance and a totality sense so yeah he was a big time you know guy that, that hurt uh definitely going out of the draft
0: yeah, someone who, in our first episode, we talked about Eno Benjamin. I am someone who has a uh, Debbie uh, dynasty, Eno Benjamin stock, and that definitely took a hit uh, when he dropped to the seventh round, although I'm, I'm still, I'm keeping up a little hope because it's Arizona and Kenny Drake is only on the transition tax. So that's one year. Uh, who knows what Chase Edmonds is going to be, so I'm, I'm, I'm still, I still have my fingers crossed. But yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, when you have a guy drop to the seventh round like that, I mean, we've seen some running backs who are not highly drafted can just it's the situation so he's you know two injuries away i'm i'm talking myself into this please don't listen to my advice i'm talking myself into this for my personal well-being um (laughs) so let's maybe move to uh receivers now after uh we've talked about the running backs this was you talked about as one of the Deepest receiver classes um, in in quite a while. At least since 2014, we don't know if the quality is going to be there because 2014 was a really, really good class. Um, but uh let's let's look at where you have these guys. You have Henry Ruggs right now because he was the first guy taken. We imagine he's going to get the opportunity in an early season long. You have him as wide receiver 47. So still not a super high impact wide receiver. First of all, do you do you think we're going to see the instant impact of this group uh, that maybe the the draft stock and and all the hype in front of it uh, lead us to believe.
1: Yeah, and, then you know, I have CeeDee Lamb as a wide receiver one for Dynasty and then Ruggs, you know, kind of the wide receiver one from season long because we're talking about that opportunity stance. I mean, this was a great class, a lot of talent. It was proven by the investment. And then we talked about the league wide escape. there's a lot of opportunity for these guys to play there's not a lot of really deep depth charts across the NFL um, but if you look at just for fantasy purposes though just 11 rookie wideouts since the year 2000 have hit thousand yards in their rookie season only 2.4 on average per season reach 800 yards since 2010 if you want to like bump the error up to more pass heavy it's just a slower play position and you know you if you're going to buy rookie wide receivers in a season-long stance You should be buying them during the season, not during the draft, because you typically come on to end the season, not to start the season. And we might see that really play an extra this year, because if we're not going to have rookie OTAs, if we're not going to have training camp, if preseason gets compromised, you know, if these guys don't get the chance to practice with these players or get in the room and get acclimated to the NFL, it might even be an extra slow burn this year, you know, for these rookie wide receivers. We really don't know. Um, but when you're looking at it from an opportunity stance, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny enough people cite C.D. Lamb's destination as kind of the worst out of the box of the top wide receivers. He's got the most competition. The Cowboys actually have the second most vacated targets uh, from 2019 to 2020 uh, than any team outside of the Atlanta Falcons. You know, the problem is, is that's a hodgepodge of multiple positions and not just C.D. Lamb's position, it does, you know, Randall Cobb does leave, you know, 83 targets, uh, but we talked about another show, I expect Amari Cooper to kind of move more in the slot, you know, C.D. Lamb to play still some X, um, you know, but he doesn't have the the, the the one for one apples to apples, you know, comparable opportunity of guys like a Justin Jefferson has with Stephon Diggs leaving, Henry Ruggs has, you know, joining that Oakland uh, depleted receiving core like Denzel Mims even has in the second round for a second round receiver uh, I think his year one opportunity is probably a little greater than some of these guys I have rank higher in dynasty it's easier to find a path for those players to potentially leading those team their respective teams and targets if not for the season for stretches of the season or the final stretch of a season in year one than it is maybe for like a CD Lamb versus uh, the guys that he's working alongside or Jared Judy or Jalen Rager guys that were drafted ahead of uh, of some of those other guys are ranked higher in Dynasty, but we'll have to wait a little bit for the big target numbers and opportunities to kind of find their way um, outside of an injury, which also can, you know, is still in play and can elevate them. So we're in a unique space that this class is good. And like I said, we've been excited for this class for a long time, but considering our social situation right now uh, in America and in natural slow burn for the wide receiver position. Uh, you know, it's kind of good to kind of have a a, a heat check and, and pump the brakes maybe on a lot of these guys performing, you know, right out of the box again. And like I said, draft these. don't draft these guys since season. Song, get them, you know, weeks into the season. That's where you're gonna get your value from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's easy to talk yourself into what these guys are going to do. And, and you see, you know, the, the C D Lamb to, to Dallas, you see even like uh, T. Higgins to Cincinnati, I think, could be you know, in an instant contributor in in the right spot, or at least eventually. But it, yeah, it's easy to get overhyped about these guys and and rank them over guys that we've already seen perform that already have um, the the rhythm and and the timing with the quarterbacks who are already on their teams. So I, I think we might you know be leaning a little more into into these veteran guys is, if in season long because of that shortened that shortened preseason just a whole experience where these guys are really working out their chemistry and their rhythm and their timing. And that's going to be really important for a wide receiver uh, running back might not be as, as bad because, you know, hand, not that I'm trying to, you know, lessen any running the ball, but like run the ball, it's the offensive line. You find the hole and you hit it. The, the wide receiver, it's a little more, it's timing. It, it takes more time uh, to get into those wide receivers. That, and then that's why we see that. So it's possible that we are going to see that. And I think, one of the bad things about that is uh, it's not, it might not let us do the 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 training camp hype train, the preseason hype train of some of these day three guys that when we're sitting around on Twitter on Friday nights, all live tweeting the preseason uh, that we all start to talk ourselves into that that might not happen. But e- just in case, uh, let's, let's go over maybe some of our favorite like day three fits with some of these wide receivers and guys who can potentially, um, uh, potentially break out and, and have this opportunity. So are there any like day three guys that stood out to you, Rich?
1: Yeah, we t- talk about the hit rates get lower on day three, but it's fun. We, we, we don't always want to talk about the round one and two dynasty guys that are going to go into rookie drafts. We, some people want to know that the third, fourth round picks, who are these guys to take some swings on, right? Like that's when it's fun. That's when you hit on, when you hit on Darius Slayton in the fourth round of your rookie draft and he hits right touchdowns, you feel, it makes you feel good, man. It makes you it makes you feel smarter than you are. Uh, you know, I love, I love that, you know. And so you try to find some opportunities for some guys. I think when, when you look at day three guys, uh, a couple guys that jump out to me, Quintus C like uh, the kid from Wisconsin, going to Detroit. I think it's a really good fit. You look at Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, Wiles, and all those guys could be out of Detroit by 2021. Um, and he could even bypass the later two and earn, you know, a snaps during the course of 2020. I think it's a really good fit for him. Uh, Quez Watkins, I still am holding that hope for, but he did go to a crowded uh, Philadelphia, get, get crowded in a hurry, especially with guys of his archetype. But I think he's definitely a lot more – well-rounded than a John Hightower or a Marquise Goodwin. Quez Watkins has all-around games, so I'm still holding on to hope for him. Uh, Antonio Gandy-Golden, I think, landed in a really good spot, especially being a 6'4", 223-pound guy in Washington. They don't really have you know, a guy like that on the roster, and we know that that's kind of an open depth chart. Their top three leading receivers last year – were rookies and one of those guys was undrafted and the other guy was a six rounder and Kelvin Harmon uh, and Steven Sims. So, I mean, the opportunity is going to kind of be there for him. Like they're definitely, they're, they're not, they're short for playmakers. So, I mean, he's going to probably have opportunity to, to make something happen. And they draft Antonio Gibson, who's kind of, you know, a Swiss army knife. Um, and then, you know, I wanted to say Tyler Johnson, but it looks like that big slot role is Chris Godwin's to not relinquish, but those are a couple guys that jump out, you know, for me, that went on day three.
0: Yeah, Tyler Johnson was super interesting. He was a guy that was kind of talked about that he might go in like the first round in some depending on who you listen to. And then all of a sudden, he's he's dropping to day three, he goes to Tampa Bay, where, you know, that third receiver is probably open. But it it depends on how much 12 they're going to run. It depends on, you know, where they're going to line up all these other guys. Tyler Johnson was kind of that big slot guy. And Chris Godwin great there uh he's not going to kick Mike Evans out uh from the outside so maybe he has to move to the outside that's that's a position he's not he hasn't done quite as well so uh, it's his stock is going to be very interesting and then that's someone who probably could have used the extended training camp and and stuff like that to to work on maybe being in the outside more or figuring out how to get both Godwin and Johnson in the slot Um, so who knows maybe maybe we see a little more more 10 there that would be that would be cool Um, fun to see but who knows Um, and and the Eagles are super interesting because they they took guys that we liked they took multiple swings at guys we like so for real football that's going to work out real well because you think of Marquise Goodwin um John Hightower and and Quez Watkins, one of those guys is probably going to hit, and that's going to be good for the Eagles. For us, trying to guess who, which one of those guys is going to be the one that hit is not great, but I mean, I, we also talked about it on the post-draft podcast. I, I love their their philosophy there. Take those multiple guys who have a similar skill set, and if one of them hits, you're, you're great. You're, you're golden, but uh, figuring out which one of them is is not going to work. And I think it's, it's an interesting place of where we see some of these other guys have gone. I mean, I love the fit of Juwan Jennings in San Francisco, but it's not going to do anything for fantasy uh, in terms of how the volume of that offense um how they're going to spread the ball around i love the fit there i think it's going to be a great real football fit um he's huge he can block well uh he's going to get schemed open in that kyle shanahan system i'm going to talk myself into him for a, a late uh rookie draft uh, pick but he's like also a better real football player than a fantasy football player um so i think you know, once we look at these i'm i'm praying for Quez Watkins he's he's the guy uh we we also talked about him in, in the last episode uh, he's a guy I really think can be really good um in that Philadelphia offense if he's the one that breaks out so he's that's that's the fit I, I think I'm hoping for the most once we get past the wide receivers and the running backs which were both classes that were hyped up we liked a lot of these guys coming in uh, the tight end class, oh, we did not really talk about much at all because there was really no reason to. And <laughs> I'm not sure if there's any reason to um, after the draft, unless you're the Bears who are just like, give me all the tight ends. Um, and, and it's like the the Ron Swanson thing where he's talking about bacon and eggs. Um, the, the Bears are like, what I think you heard was give me a lot of tight ends to what I said was give me all the tight ends you have um that is the Chicago Bears philosophy right now in grabbing tight ends but but other than that uh is there any hope for or fantasy relevance at all for this tight end class
1: <laughs> yeah it was a class that was not good and what's even crazier is I don't think anyone in in the realm of possibilities like had the order the way these guys were even drafted even remotely close I mean there were some people obviously Kolkma search and he was a popular tight end one but like Devin Asiasi is the tight end, you know, two to come off the board. Uh, you know, Joseph Deguera, to, to, as you know, the, the tight end three off oh the board. Like some of these guys that went, the, the order of these guys were just completely shook up. Um, we know someone will probably hit here. because it happened, but from an objective stance, there's not a lot to love here. The lead, we thought this was a class of backups. The league kind of told us with, with the investment they put in these guys, that it was a lot of backups. So, I mean, it's hard to really get excited and, you know, Asiasi is a, he's an interesting dude but like he he was stuck behind Thomas Duarte and Caleb Wilson but on the same token like those guys are seventh rounders in the NFL so like those guys are playing ahead of him repeatedly in college so it's tough to like really gauge like if, is there's is there really a lot to be excited about you know Dalton Keene is kind of like a, a good athlete but didn't really have a lot of production I think Adam Troutman is interesting the Saints traded up for him but how much of a window is he going to have with Drew Brees it's, you know, what, is, how are we going to treat that Saints offense, you know, in the future? And, you know, maybe it'll be the Jameis Winston Saints. Maybe that he'll, he'll go that route and he'll, he'll get a long-term deal there. But uh, he's an interesting guy, but, you know, Jared Cook's got one year left on his deal, and then we, we don't know where Drew Brees is going to stand. So a slow burn position, not the best type of talent. I don't even have, my highest tight end is Cole, is Cole or is actually, I have Troutman one, but all these guys are in the third round. I have no one even remotely close to the second round uh, dynasty draft pick. Uh, it at all so i mean it's it's a hard class to really love yeah
0: it's yeah Troutman is the most interesting one because of the situation he was put in in new orleans and he just kind of automatically like anyone who goes to new orleans but he's going to sit behind uh jared cook uh he's going to sit behind even josh hill who the saints have relied on uh, a little bit in in that passing game and I don't know maybe he even sits behind Taysom Hill uh, as as tight end three uh, so who knows so yeah the opportunity there is not very clear in what you go past you know 2020 and what the Saints are going to look like uh, we have absolutely uh, no idea so yeah this tight end class just really no hope for it so if you if you're going into rookie rookie drafts I mean, normally a lot of us are going to be hammering running back and wide receiver anyway, uh, this year especially. Uh, I'm not sure there's any reason to, to force a tight end here, even if you kind of like the prospect or, or kind of liked oh, where these guys are going. There's just, I don't think there's, there's a lot of promise here uh, at all. Is there anything else uh, you would like to add about uh, what we should be looking for, maybe as Dynasty you know, rookie drafts are going to get started soon? Is there anything else we should, we should be ready for uh, in the next couple of weeks?
1: Uh, no, definitely check out all the content and ranks. I have write-ups on all the players, too, so check those out. I mean, turns out if you were in a super flex league, 103 really ended up being the catbird seat uh, right now because, like, you know, kind of you've got Burrow and the two backs, so like that turned out to be a tremendous pick if you've got that. If you're a really good team and you've got the 103 because you got it via trade or something else, I mean, you might be able to get a good good haul for someone to come up there uh, to that spot before there's a, you know, a definite tier break. Uh, so that kind of worked out there, but yeah, just, just hit the site and I've got all this information there reach out on Twitter and I'll answer any questions that you may even have for your rookie draft. So definitely, you know, take advantage of that. Yeah. All right. So there we go.
0: We did it. I think draft week is officially over. I think with, with the end of this podcast, I think we've made it. I think we can say officially done. I am running on nothing but still cold brew for, uh, the past, like 10 days. Um, That's the only way words are coming out of my mouth uh, is because of that fantastic product. Um, So that's it. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. This is episode two. Like Rich said, you can find all our work at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Rich is going to be having, continue to do write-ups on these rankings and they're going to be consistently updated. uh, So you can find all that work there. You can find this podcast, which is Pre Snap Motion, anywhere you get your podcast. Please uh, rate and review, uh, subscribe. You can also find our other podcast uh, that we do with Warren Sharp. Um, that is the Sharp Angles podcast. You can also find that wherever you get your podcast. Um, so, thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.